Jenna. She's 35, and for the last three years, she's been dealing with sinus infections, along with issues concentrating and unexplained dizziness. Recently, she also started experiencing just a general malaise and was feeling more and more tired. Her primary care physician sent her to an ENT, which is ear, nose, and throat doctor, and she was prescribed numerous rounds of antibiotics, but those unfortunately didn't help. She actually ended up seeing three different ENTs, followed by two different neurologists, but after tons of blood testing, scans, and even an MRI, there was nothing conclusive. While she was relieved she didn't have a brain tumor, which was her initial fear because of the dizziness, she still felt like she's gotten nowhere as her symptoms were still present with no answer in sight. She tried physical therapy and even chiropractic techniques to help her balance and focus, but not much has changed. When I met Jenna, I saw that in addition to all of these symptoms, she also had some digestive issues. I also noticed that a lot of the symptoms started following a big cross-country move. I knew we had to keep digging and figure out all the missing pieces to solve this health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler. And this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Jenna. My sense was that there was something fungal going on and that was creating the inflammation and leading to her symptoms. Joining me on the show today to talk much more about this is Evan Brand. Evan is a functional medicine nutritionist. He's the founder of Evan Brand Functional Medicine Clinic and the host of the Evan Brand Show podcast, which has over 7 million downloads and counting. Evan, so excited to have you. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, when I was going through Jenna's history, I noticed that her symptoms started soon after a big move. I thought of stress right away as uprooting and moving is quite a big deal. But when digging deeper, I learned that she actually had a leak in her apartment right after she moved in. She said it really wasn't a huge deal. There was just a small drip coming through the ceiling. She had a bucket under it for a few days and then it stopped. Her landlord wanted to make sure her apartment looked nice, so he sent someone to repaint that part of the ceiling that turned yellow from the water. She really didn't think much about it afterwards. But what many people don't realize is that water damage, even when it doesn't seem that bad, can create mold. Evan, why is this important and how can mold affect our bodies? Yeah, it can cause anything from anxiety to heart palpitations to depression to anger and irritability to insomnia blood pressure problems, cold hands, cold feet, dizziness and vertigo, sometimes tremors or twitching. So people will get misdiagnosed as having Alzheimer's or Parkinson's when in reality it's just mold. Mycotoxins, which are the byproducts, think of it as the poop that mold makes. It's not the mold that makes you sick. It's the mycotoxins that the molds produce. So for example, penicillium and aspergillus, very two common molds found in water damaged buildings, which uh, in Jenna's apartment, I guarantee she has aspergillus and penicillium. Those produce ochre toxin. Ochre toxin is a mycotoxin that you can measure in the urine. Now, mycotoxins have an affinity for the cerebellum. So the cerebellum is on the back right part of your brain. 
And that's a part of your brain that's responsible for spatial navigation, your balance, coordination, movement, et cetera. So when we see people dragging their feet or they've got twitches and tremors or they're dizzy all the time, that's cerebellum. And that can be affected by ochre toxin. So if you get a, what they call a neuroquant, which is a special type of MRI, you can actually see the damage in the brain caused from mycotoxin. So this is a huge problem. And your neurologist, your standard MDs, they just don't have much of a clue about this. This is just as big of a cover up as Lyme disease, where people say they get told they're crazy and Lyme disease isn't real. And yet we see this every day in clinic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how it can affect the brain and how there's so many different symptoms. In Jenna's case, she actually did have unexplained dizziness and she saw three different ENTs and no one really had answers for her and she had issues concentrating. So it definitely makes sense how the brain was affected with that. A lot of people think that mold just creates allergies and breathing issues, but it's really so much more than that. Yeah, I had zero sinus problems, no stuffy nose, no cough, no typical quote allergy symptoms at all. And the levels of ochre toxin in my urine were off the charts. And so I'm actively detoxing and working on that as we speak. My symptoms were all mainly neurological. So blood pressure changes, uh, cognitive problems, like my short-term memory was shot. Uh, It's getting better every day. Dizziness was a major problem. Still, if I go to a moldy building, I'll get dizzy. So for example, I went to a bookstore with my wife, terrible idea for someone that has mold sensitivity. I previously didn't have mold sensitivity, but once you uh, get exposed, you have a major exposure. And if you get a mycotox urine panel run on yourself, you can measure the mold in your body. Once your levels are really high, think of it as your bucket, your bucket's full. Once your bucket's full, you hit that threshold every time you go into a moldy building. So, uh, my wife and I went to this bookstore and within five minutes of me being inside there, I was dizzy and had to leave. Now, not everyone gets extreme sensitivity like that. Not everyone gets dizzy like that. But for me, that's kind of how it manifests to where I may be able to drive to a place. But then if we go in and the building's moldy, I can't drive home because I'm too dizzy. So I'll just let my wife drive home. So it's been, you know, pretty crazy to me. I'd personally rather have a broken arm because then you'd break it and Mm. then it heals with mold you know, you're constantly getting set back. So you may take three steps forward and then two steps back. If you go to a moldy building or let's say you want to go visit your family member, what if your family member's house is moldy? So it becomes this kind of a Russian roulette game where you're not sure where you're going to take a hit of mold or not. So for Jenna, you know, I would assume, you know, if she hasn't got her urine tested, that would be the next best step to, to look at her exposure level. And what we typically do is have people take a few days of glutathione first to help mobilize it. Cause if someone's not a good detoxifier, they may not be pushing out the mycotoxins out of the tissue. So we take glutathione externally. You make it in your liver naturally. It's your master detox hormone. You can take that in supplemental form and that'll actually help mobilize from your brain, your kidneys, your liver out into the urine. So the urine test is going to show more of a real number as opposed to if the mycotoxins are hiding, the urine test may give you a false negative. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. And I just want to go back to what you were saying just a few seconds ago about the overflowing bucket, because that's something we talk a lot about on this podcast. And it's this idea that when you already have a lot going on, you know, and you've accumulated stuff in your bucket, so to speak, you know, from mold, but we also have stress and there's other infections and we oftentimes have deficiencies and may not be eating hundred percent. All of that adds up. And so when that bucket is full, 
even that little bit of exposure when normally it wouldn't affect someone can affect them at that time. Absolutely. Yeah. And that could be for anything that could be on a whole nother topic that could be related to parasites that could be related to bacterial overgrowth where someone all of a sudden eats sugar and then they have a major problem with their brain. You know, it could be anything. So in this case, it just happens to be mold as the conversation. But this analogy of the whole straw that breaks the camel's back, that could happen for anything. It's just a matter of trying to investigate. And this is why we always do a good workup on people, make sure we get all the right labs if we see that bucket's full of chemical toxins, well, we got to work on that. If we see the bucket's full of parasites and fungal overgrowth, we got to fix that. If we see the bucket's full of mycotoxins, we got to fix that. So this is why I'm not a huge fan of people that are specialists in the sense that if you focus too much on one problem, you're going to miss the others. So if you go to a Lyme disease doctor and you've got a bunch of symptoms, here's the thing. Mycotoxins can mimic Lyme. So you could have dizziness and concentration problems and joint pain and headaches and anxiety. And you could go to a Lyme specialist and they're going to say, hey, you've got Lyme disease. And it may be a clinical diagnosis, meaning you didn't do a test for it because the testing for Lyme is not super accurate. So you may get a clinical diagnosis and then all of a sudden you go treat Lyme. You take antibiotics, you go take other pharmaceutical drugs, and then you get no better. You know, I've had people that have been on IV antibiotics for years because they thought they had Lyme and we test them with some of the testing that I depend on DNA connections in particular is a good urine test. They're the best out there right now for, for Lyme and co-infections. And we find out these people don't have Lyme after all, then we run their mold report, then they have tons of mold. So you don't want to chase rabbit holes. You want to try to make sure you turn over every rock if you're suffering. Mm-hmm. It's such a good point because you really want to look at the whole body and that's the importance of really working with someone who's a, so to speak, root cause practitioner so that you can really look at everything because it's hard to know sometimes if it's, you know, this or that, or maybe a combination of three, four, five, maybe even 10 different things. Now, Evan, can we talk a little bit about how people can get exposed to mold? We talked about some of this water damage, uh, like Jenna had in her apartment, but what else? Because I think it's more common than people realize. Yeah, I've tested since, you know, I've had to become an expert on mold because there's very few experts out there on this subject. So I'm not an expert yet, but I'm learning every day significant amounts and I'm on my whole experimentation journey myself. So I'm learning what binders work best and, you know, how, what temperature should you do in the sauna? How long should you do the sauna? What should you do supplement wise before and after? So I'm kind of making all these protocols on the fly to help myself. Now, uh, Back to your question, diet is probably the second, you know, I would say inhalation of, of mycotoxins. Remember, mycotoxins are the byproducts of mold. So you don't breathe in aspergillus and penicillium. You could, but you're really breathing in the, the, the mycotoxins they produce. You're, you're breathing in ochratoxin. So there's others as well, but that's the most common one that we're seeing on the test results. Gliotoxin, that one's pretty common as well. And just to clear something up before I answer the question, when people hear the word mold, they immediately just turn their ears off because they're like, I don't see any mold. I don't see this ugly black stuff on the wall. No, you're not going to see it unless it's stachybotrys. That's the black stuff. If it's aspergillus, penicillium, that could be just a very light white fuzz. You go open up your cabinets where you store your bowls and plates and cups and such, and you can look in there. And on the horizontal surfaces, if you see just a light fuzzy looking dust almost, that's mold. It doesn't have to look black and disgusting to be mold. 
and it could very well make you sick just as easy as the ugly stuff. So I would say inhalation of mycotoxins is going to be number one. Absolutely. I would say 90% of the problem is inhalation, being in moldy buildings. Even the uh, U.S. government says that over 50% of all buildings have a water problem. So some type of water leak or water damage. And that's just the official number that they say. So we know that when you get an official number from the government, the number in reality is probably much higher. So I would say the number is probably 80% of buildings are damaged with water and that water creates mold. So number one is inhalation. Number two, I would say would be ingestion. So that would be your diet. Mainly the biggest problematic foods are gonna be things that get moldy. So grains are gonna be number one. This is part of the reason in my theory, part of the reason why people so feel feel so good on an autoimmune diet, autoimmune paleo diet, is because they're removing grains. And grains are heavily contaminated with mycotoxins. So when we look at potentially corn, we look at rice, we look at wheat, you know, think of the nature of these things. Most of them are going to be genetically modified and they're going to be sprayed with glyphosate. What happens when you try to disrupt the microbial balance of nature is you're going to get really, really, really pissed off mold. So think of a big cornfield and you go and you spray it with Roundup. You're going to try to kill everything. Nature's going to evolve to understand, hey, I can beat this and it's going to produce more virulent strains of mycotoxins. So we're actually making the problem worse by using pesticides on our food. So this number one is you got to make sure the diet's dialed in. If you're doing, you know, 98% of corn in America is GMO. So there's one to 2% of where you can get your organic blue corn. Maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not. I think it'd be something you'd have to test on yourself. And then of course the rice, that's also a potential problem. So peanuts, very big problem. People have probably heard of aflatoxin. Uh, coffee is a big one. Chocolate is a big one. Wine, that could be a potential problem as well. Uh, grapes, you know, there's, a big list, but those are probably the biggest defenders in terms of foods. Now, I still just want to be clear. The food problem is still second on the list compared to ingestion. If you're working in a moldy office building 40 hours a week, you're going to get way more sick doing that than eating some GMO corn here and there. Got it. Now, how common is mold exposure? Every single person I've tested so far has come positive for at least one high mycotoxin. So, in my studies and in my clinical experience and what I'm seeing and testing with people over a hundred test results and counting, the prevalence is a hundred percent. Wow. So That's I would estimate, you know, you, we've got what three to 400 million people in the U S I would estimate 200 million plus have high mycotoxins in their body. That's astronomically high. And all of those people are probably dealing with some type of an issue and it may not seem that bad, but they're probably suffering unnecessarily and there's something that they can do about it. Now, Evan, how can we test our environment? So if let's say it's our office or our home and like you said, we don't always see black on the walls and maybe we're not even seeing some of the, the fuzzy white, but we're wondering, are our symptoms being caused by mold? What's a good way to test? Sure. I'll, I'm going to comment on what you said and then I'll answer it. It's insanity when you think of the millions of people that are sitting in a doctor's office right now and they're going to their doctor with this mysterious joint pain or this anxiety, and then they get put on anti-anxiety medication, or they're depressed and they get put on antidepressant medication, or they can't sleep because 
mold messes up your melatonin production. So you go in and you go for a sleep study. And then they put you on sleep medication like Ambien, which is a terrible pharmaceutical drug that's almost impossible to get people off of. So all these people have a complaint. You go to the dizziness clinic and you go see an ENT and they can't figure it out. So then they just give you anti-nausea drugs or you have stomach pain because mold can cause stomach pain. So then you get put on IBS medication. You get diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome. So do you see the insanity of this? Oh, yeah. Now, you could get 20 to 30 different diagnoses and 20 to 30 different drugs, but you did not address the freaking root cause. It's mold. I'm telling you, I would just say, you know, you know how in the justice system we say innocent until proven guilty. I'm to the point now based on what I'm seeing clinically to say mold until proven otherwise. So I'm rating mold as a bigger problem than all the gut infections that I've been working on for almost a decade with my clients. I'm putting mold above that now because I'm seeing that we'll have a person with parasites and bacterial overgrowth and candida and all these other problems. Here's another interesting thing, kind of a side note. My wife brought this up this morning at the breakfast table. I thought, you know what? You're pretty smart, honey. She said, <laughs> you're seeing all these clients with a white coated tongue. She said, how many of those people have been doing tongue scrapers and they're supporting the tongue scraping industry, buying these little metal things people scrape their tongue with, but they're not fixing the root cause. And the root cause is actually candida and candida is in the whole fungus category. And you can have candida in your house and that candida can be breathed in and it can colonize your gut and your sinuses. So long story short, if you take a bunch of anti-candida supplements, but you don't fix your environment, if it has candida in it, especially your pets, they have candida on them that candida floats through the air and then you breathe it in and then it recolonizes your gut. So, you know, get rid of the tongue scraper, just fix your tongue by fixing your environment. So now I'll answer your question, which is how do you test your environment? The kind of the gold standard, what people talk about, which I'm not a huge fan of for several reasons is called the ERMI, E-R-M-I. People do the ERMI test. I'm not even an expert enough to say how exactly the test works. I believe what you do is you take some air sampling uh, you do a vacuum, you vacuum up some dust, and then you send it in. There's another related brother or sister test to that where you cut a piece of your HVAC filter out and you send that in. But what I personally did, and just for the cost and for the effectiveness that I've seen, is I've been using the plate testing, which is little Petri dishes that you put out. You put them out for one hour, and then you seal them up and you send them back to a lab in Albuquerque called Aminolytics. This is what I did. And this is what all my clients are doing. And for the cost, you just can't beat it. Mm -hmm. How much you know? does it cost? Uh, so at the, at the time of this recording for five plates, which is generally enough to test around a 2,500 to 3,000 square feet home, it's $158 US. Now the price wow. may change, but you know, 158 bucks and you could test your whole house. So you could put a plate in your attic or your crawl space, which is very important. You could put one in your master bedroom, your kitchen. If you've got a home office, definitely got to put one in there, uh, 158 bucks and you're going to get a report and then you get a free consult from the lab and they'll talk to you about your problem and say, Hey, here's what we found. And they can help you to educate you on particular molds that are found. For example, there's one called Mucor, M-U-C-O-R. Mucor generally only shows up if we have a current active water intrusion event. So, you know, in our case study that we talked about at the beginning, if she did some plates, we may be able to see, hey, she's got mucor and that would indicate that water leak is still happening. It could just be behind the wall cavity, which would justify you ripping the wall off to get the mold, you know, cleaned up inside.
Right, right, exactly. And that's actually what happened with her. It's amazing though, and what I want everyone to know is for $158, you could get five plates and you get all of this information, you know, because people often will get a mold expert to come out to the house. That could be thousands of dollars and they're still not getting answers. So it's just so good to know that this lab exists and they're able to do this. Yeah, that's right. Because like I said, kind of the, the quote gold standard is like some of the air sampling where they'll just suck some air out of the middle of the room and then they'll test it. And if there's not spores floating around actively in the air, then they say, well, you're fine. There's no problem. Here's the thing though. Mycotoxins sink. So that's why we put the plates on the floor and we test it there. Mm. We take a sample out of the middle of the air. What if all those mycotoxins are, you know, they're floating down to the bottom of the, to the bottom of the floor. So you can also test your car most people never, they don't think about it. Most people never change their filters, their cabin filters in their vehicle. Their cabin filters are probably disgusting and filled with mold. We've had a woman who was getting to work every day. By the time she got to work, she had a migraine headache. It's because she had mold in her heating and cooling system in her vehicle. And every time she turns on the heat to heat herself up going to work, she was blowing mold into her face. And she had a migraine by the time she got to work. Wow. She thought it was the stress of the commute. No, it wasn't. It was mold. Mm. Yeah. Well, when, so how do you figure it out? Well, you just put a plate in your car. Yeah. You turn on your heat, you turn on your air, you let it run, and then you leave your, your car door shut for 30 minutes for the, you know, 15 minutes heat, 15 minutes AC, and then the extra half an hour, you just leave the car off, and then you'll see. And most people have moldy cars, especially if they left their windows down in a storm, you got all that water in there. Most cars have carpet on oh, the floorboards. Yeah. That carpet is just a reservoir for mycotoxins. Mm -hmm. Now, when people test their homes with the plates, do they need to provoke the environment in a certain way in case the mold could be maybe hiding inside the carpet or somewhere like on the walls? Great question. So there actually is something you can do with those plates called a tap test, T-A-P, like you're tapping. And that's exactly what you do. So you can just leave them out for an hour, but then you can also just go tap, 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 and you tap the plate against the material. So for example, carpets, terrible idea to have carpet. You can tap your carpet and when you tap it, you're kind of agitating the carpet and you're going to throw any mold spores directly into that tray and then you seal it up and send it off to the lab. Evan, we talked about testing the body for mold briefly in the beginning of this. Can we go through that in a little bit more detail? You mentioned the organic acid test. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how exactly that tests for mold? Yeah, I mentioned the mycotox test. So it's kind of the cousin or the brother to the organic acids. So typically you want to do both. You can't test for mold on organic acids. Now you can look for certain fungal markers. So when we look at Great Plains, page one, there's a whole list of fungal um, metabolites that we call them. So this could be anything from oxalgateric acid to tartaric acid to arabinose. These are different uh, fungal markers that show up in the urine. These are metabolites. So what that means is it's a breakdown product of a fungal overgrowth. So for example, candida, you don't test for candida in the urine. You test for the gases candida produces. You test for arabinose, tartaric acid, there's uh, citric acid, there's others that pop up when the candida is above normal, you'll see that. So what we do is we get that urine run through both the organic acid and the mycotoxin screen, which is a totally different test run off the same urine sample. And that's where you can look for all these mycotoxins. So that would be the first step. You know, the first two steps for people would be one, test your environment. Number two, test your body 
getting that oat mycotoxin panel done. And then when you find what you're up against, then you can make a targeted game plan. Right. So if someone finds that there is mold in their environment, they will then go ahead and obviously work with someone to remediate that, whether they need to open up the wall or they need to change out the carpet, they'll do what they need to do there. Now, if they then find the mycotoxins in their urine, and then they're also perhaps seeing the um, diarbinitol elevated, so that means that they have candida, what are some things that you suggest that people do for their body once they've already changed out their environment? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was good. Good point at the last part of your question. There is you got to change out the environment, right? So if you start going on like a supplement protocol, but you haven't addressed the environment, the nail's still in your foot. You got to get the heck out of that environment. So whether it's staying in a hotel, which could be moldy, so that's a risk. Because think about it, you're in a hotel or an apartment complex. You've got you know dozens, if not hundreds, of units where people could potentially overflood their toilet or their bathtub or their dishwasher. And then now you're counting on everybody to use water properly, which most people don't. And then that leak can spread through the whole building, especially if you have a big central heating and cooling system where all the ductwork is connected. You suck up the moldy air from one person's condo, apartment, hotel room, and it pumps it into your hotel room. So even if you think you're in a pristine room, you may not be. Oh, I'm fine. I didn't have any water problems. Yeah, but what about the other 200 people in your apartment complex? So that's something to think about. But once the environment is addressed and you do have a clean environment, that's step one. You know, if you look at some of the surveys done by people that have dealt with mold, you know, 85% of the battle is getting out of the moldy environment. Then it comes the cleanup. So taking antifungal supplements and herbs could be anything from olive leaf, which we use a lot to get rid of candida, could be French tarragon, could be thyme, could be clove oil, oregano. Uh, there's berberines that we can use. There are barberries, bearberries. These are different antimicrobials that also have antifungal benefits. You want to be on some type of an antifungal, antimicrobial herbal protocol. And then on top of that, you're going to be adding in some binders. So this could be anything from a zeolite. This could be a chlorella. This could be some liver support nutrients like milk thistle. This could be some gallbladder support like beet powder, ox bile. This could be digestive enzymes to help make sure you digest your food better so that if you are eating moldy corn, for example, that that's not affecting you as much. So enzymes could be a very critical component. Could be some activated charcoal or carbon-based products that are going to help to bind to these mycotoxins and pull them out. There are pharmaceuticals out there, but I've not seen good reports in terms of side effects and all that. And I cannot prescribe and I would not prescribe even if I could. So I'm just, you know, purposely limiting my toolbox to the the natural stuff, not any drugs. Mm -hmm. And can you tell everyone listening why the binders are important in addition to the antifungals? Yeah, you can't just do one or the other. So there's something called enterohepatic recirculation. To make bile is a very energy intensive process. So that being said, the body's smart, right? I've got a at this house that I live in now, there was a cat that came with the house, this farm cat. We're surrounded by farmland. Mm -hmm. So there's a little kitty cat, little cute tortoise colored uh, cat that came with the house. This cat is so smart. It knows when it needs to go hide and hibernate. So on the cold days, we've got this little cat house. That cat's in that house on a cold day. It knows what it's doing. And then when the weather warms up, the cat's like, oh, I'm going to go outside. So we just leave that thing alone. 
Now, how in the heck did you get on a tangent about a cat? What does that have to do with enterohepatic recirculation? Well, if you just watch nature, nature knows what it's doing. That's my point. And so the body knows, hey, it's a really intense process to manufacture bile. So the liver make bile, the liver can make bile, and then what will happen is it gets stored in the gallbladder. Now, because that is such an intense process, I mean, think of your body just cranking out this bile. It's going to recirculate. 95% of it. So only 5% at a time is going to be new bile. Mycotoxins get stored in the bile. That's part of where they get stored. They can get stored in your cerebellum, which is your brain. They can get stored in your liver, your kidneys, et cetera. But we do know that bile does have mycotoxins in it. So therefore, if you can't change that percentage, it'd be great if we could just press a button and drain all the bile, and then we could just make 100% new bile we would probably get better a lot faster, but we can't do that. So the binders, what they do, think of it as a magnet. You're going to come in and you're going to suck all this bile with mycotoxins inside of it to this binder. So for example, if we think of like an activated carbon product that usually comes from coconut shells, it, it's if you looked at it through a microscope, it has millions of tiny little pores. And so the mycotoxins get stuck in those pores and then you poop it out. You poop out the mycotoxins. Now, of course, you're not seeing this. It just looks like normal stool. Unless you took a ton of charcoal, then the stool looks black. But in a normal situation, a normal good therapeutic binding dose, you're not going to see anything change. But you're going to feel better. And then when you do your retest in three to six to nine months, you're going to see the mycotoxin load came down. So that's the importance of binders is you're trying to basically attach to these toxins so they don't recirculate and go through the system again. This is why. This is the important piece here. So if you're falling asleep on me, wake up. This is important. This is why just getting out of the moldy environment is not enough. You could be out of the moldy environment and go live in a tent in the desert for a year, but if you're still recirculating mycotoxins, you're going to stay sick. So you have to get these binders on board. You got to start taking that 95% that's recirculating and try to reduce that number with the help of the binders. That's great advice, Evan. How long does it typically take to go through this process? And I understand, of course, every case is going to be different, but is this something, are we talking a couple of weeks? Are we talking a couple of months or a couple of years? Can you give us an idea? When I spoke with Dr. Shaw, he's the guy who created this laboratory. He created this test and we reviewed my levels with him. Uh, We looked at my okra toxin levels, which were very high. I had a couple other fungal toxins that were not as high. He said, if I were doing all of the binders, I kind of discussed my protocol with him. Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's kind of the Wild West. So I'm piecing this all together on my own. I said, okay, I'm going to do these antifungals, these antimicrobials. I'm going to do uh, these binders. And then I'm going to do an infrared sauna. He said, okay, if you do all of that, including sauna three to four times a week for about 30 to 45 minutes, three months to a year minimum to get mm-hmm. better. So... I've seen levels way worse than mine ever since I started testing clients. Every single person, nine out of nine, 10 out of 10 is showing high with mycotoxins. And I've seen worse than mine, which is good because when I saw my levels, I was pretty freaked out. Mm. Uh, But now I've seen people that look way worse than me. And I just kind of, you know, parrot the same timeline I was told. Three to 12 months would be an expected timeline. Now, does that mean you're going to be miserable until a year passes? No. You're going to get better slowly, but 
if you go and stay at your family's house for a week and their house has mold, well, you're going to fill your bucket back up again. And now you took two steps forward and I took two steps back. So you kind of have to live in a bubble temporarily until you can get this out of your system. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And how often do you test the mycotoxins? Do you test every couple of months to see your progress or do you wait a little bit longer? I think it depends on somebody's budget and how curious and how sick they are. I would say six months would be a reasonable timeline to retest that. Mm-hmm. And how much does that test run? Just so everyone listening can get an idea. Uh, it ranges depending on where you are in the world. So if you're international, you're going to be paying extra shipping costs. You're going to be paying, uh, you know, potentially import fees and all that. If you're in like Australia, there are some distributors that, you know, they have some markup associated with it because you're having to import and transport stuff across the world. Canada, same thing. So I would say anywhere between three and $500 would be uh, the price you'd be looking at. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and that's then of course, and then of course, you know, we're, we're running the organic acid on top of that. So the price would be higher if you're doing a combination test, which is definitely what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So people can decide if they want to test in between, or if it makes sense that they just continue to see how they feel and hopefully they're making good progress and then they could test a little bit later. So they're not spending as much money. Yeah. I'd rather people say, you know, once you get the initial testing done, I'd rather people save their money for the nutrients you need to fix yourself, you know, checking in and saying, Hey, we went from a hundred to 80. Okay, cool. But you know, that's money you could have just spent on a year's worth of binders. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah. Now, Evan, with everything that you're doing, how are you feeling as you're going through this process? I'm feeling okay. It depends on the day. It depends on where I go. Last night, my wife and I went to uh, it's a, it's sort of like a sporting goods store. We were just going to go look around, take my daughter. We were going to go look at some bird feeders and get some more bird seed. And we went in and I just had this weird, this weird sensation. You know, I had Dave Asprey on my podcast, like six or seven years ago, he did that really good documentary called moldy all about mold. And he had discussed that within 30 seconds of entering a building, he could tell whether it was moldy or not. And I was like, there's no way 30 seconds. Come on. No, he's right. I understand exactly what he's talking about. And I didn't know it until, you know, I got sick and figured out he's right. You can, you you can be a canary in the coal mine. And so we walked in this building and I had this weird sense. I was like, something is not right in here. And so we just kind of roam around, you know, got this weird sense of apprehension going on. I'm like, ah, something isn't right in here. And my wife looks up at the ceiling of this place. And I swear to you, there were hundreds of water spots on all the tile and all the ceiling tile in this building. I'm talking anywhere from the size of a basketball to 20 feet long. The whole ceiling was brown, yellow, green. I mean, it was disgusting. The the building looked like it should have been condemned. You know, we'd never been to this place before. So we were just kind of going out on a whim. We were in a different part of town than normal. So we thought, well, let's just stop in here. I mean, I I literally held my breath and ran out of the store because, you know, with my bucket being as full as it is based on previous exposures, you know, I could be sick for two days after exposure like that. I could be dizzy and have heart palpitations and all sorts of crazy symptoms, you know, balance problems, et cetera, just from that quick exposure. So for me, you know, I'm feeling good, but like I said, it's a little bit of a game. You got to figure out where are clean places you can go because this is a big stress on relationships and marriages. You know, where do you take your partner who's sick because they can't go everywhere with you? You know, a normal person, maybe they're okay. Maybe they have better genetics and they can detox mold if they go breathe in that, in that building, but I'm not willing to take that risk. So this is kind of the, 
the battle is, well, you've got to live in a bubble, but at the same time, you got to have a relationship. So what do you do? So me, I just, I'm very picky. I'm very you know, picky about where I go, how long do I stay in buildings? If I start to feel off and get a symptom that pops up, well, I know it's time for me to go. And there are masks that you can wear in, as in Nancy, N95 masks. Those are like a standard dusk mask. You can wear those, and that actually blocks out about 95% of spores. So if you need to, you can wear a mask in certain buildings, and that would help you to not get a, quote, mold hit. So that's what I do is I have a mask, and if I have to wear it, I'll wear it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really smart. And I think what's important to know is even though this obviously is a process and everything you're going through takes time and there's a lot of healing that needs to happen, but at the same time, you found the answer of what it was. And I think so many people that are suffering, the kind of bigger part of it is they don't know what's wrong with them. Doctors aren't explaining it. No one has answers. And they're literally starting to think maybe they're crazy. And so even though, yes, it's a process and there's work to do, just the fact that we can test for this, we can look for this and there's hope and people can get better is really what I want everyone listening to take away from this. Absolutely. Yeah. Make, you made a lot of great points there. And if you're suffering and you have not gotten the answers, consider mold as your problem. Get the testing done. If you've suffered, I mean, how much do you value your quality of life? If you don't have health, you have nothing. You want to be a good mom? Okay, you got to be healthy. You want to be a good dad? Okay, you got to be healthy. You want to be a good employee? You want to be a good entrepreneur? You want to be a good business owner? You want to be a good productive member of society who's not losing their mind? Okay, well, then you got to be healthy. So, there's some questions that I don't have the answers to at this time, but I at least want to try to flush some of this stuff out so people can wrap their head around this. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think a lot of it also, like you're saying with the bucket, you know, mold is a big component, but then we also want to look at what else is in the bucket and kind of look at it together to help people start to get better. Evan, thank you so much for sharing this great information. I so appreciate you being here and um, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. As we just heard, mold can play a major role in our health and can cause many symptoms that are across the board, not just allergies, as many of us may think. I'll tell you more about what we did for Jenna in just a second. But first, if you want to contact or find out more about my guest, Evan Brand, please visit healthmysterysolve.com and go to episode number six. There you'll find all the detailed show notes so you could reference everything we talked about and all the links are going to be there as well. Now back to Jenna. Jenna tested her apartment using a kit she ordered from Immunolytics Labs, and the results revealed that mold was in fact present. While the damage to her ceiling was minimal, there was actually a slow drip from the roof that continued, and while she wasn't able to see it, the mold formed in the attic, and her HVAC system was up there, so that is how she was continuously exposed. Once we uncovered the issue, Jenna's landlord brought in a team to remediate and then she stayed with her parents for a few weeks while everything was being cleaned up. And then we did some testing, and we found that she had yeast overgrowth, also known as candida, which is not surprising because she was living in a moldy environment. Now, by the way, if you're wondering, she never got a yeast infection. And I want everyone to know that you can have candida and yeast overgrowth even without ever having yeast infection, since candida originates in the gut. Now, after doing an organic acid test, we saw that she was deficient in many antioxidants and nutrients that were needed for mitochondrial function. Mitochondria are like little batteries. They're found in every single cell, and that is what gives cells its energy. 
Now, I actually recorded an episode specifically on mitochondria. It's going to air in a couple of months, so much more on that soon. As Evan was explaining, mold and fungal overgrowth can actually poison the mitochondria, and the body needs an extra dose of antioxidants and nutrients to help fight that damage. After her home was cleaned up, we used a combination of synergistic antifungal botanicals. We used something called GI-microbex, microgon, and FC-cytal, along with garlic and oregano oil, and then high-dose probiotics called 11-strain probiotic. And then we worked on healing her gut with a combination of L-glutamine, DGL, and okra. I use a product called GI-revive, which has all of those ingredients. We then used glutathione, coenzyme Q10, and activated B12 in the form of methylcobalamin to help her mitochondria. She also adjusted her diet and reduced her sugar intake. She changed to whole unprocessed carbohydrates and increased her protein and good fats. Fungus can actually feed on sugar and processed carbs turn to sugar, which is why we made those changes. After a few weeks, she started to notice more energy. And then as soon as we finished the antifungal protocol, her brain fog lifted. She was so excited to be able to think clearly again. She was still getting some dizziness, but it was reduced by about 50%. So we continued to balance her body based on her test results. And a few months later, the dizziness was completely gone. She was back to her old self. Jenna was able to add foods back in, but because she felt so well on the protocol, she continued to be mindful of sugar and taking antioxidants and B vitamins. She also hasn't gotten another sinus infection since. If Jenna sounds like someone you know, please share this episode with them and make sure you subscribe to this podcast because the next health mystery I uncover could be one that you or someone you love is dealing with right now. When it comes to solving your health mysteries, don't give up. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.